Teresa and I are back from a week of semi-vacation. Semi because I performed a wedding last Saturday night, a week ago now, uh, for some friends of ours who are longtime family members. And you know how that goes when you get around a bunch of people that you have been around for a long time or have been, shared life, uh, have been sharing life with for, in our case, uh, a couple of decades or plus, um, inevitably conversations go backwards and you remember some things of the past and conversations are in the present of what's going on now and all of that stuff. So it's a reunion of sorts for us with this uh, family that's probably, or friends that are more like family for us. And so I was thinking through some things with that set of people and uh, this, the guy, the, he's my friend. The wedding was for his oldest daughter, who is Lauren's longtime best friend. And uh, so I was thinking through some things of our two daughters as they were growing up together and family stories that we shared. And I was remembering, now you got to understand, this friend of mine, Jim is his name, uh, is one of the most have-it-together kind of guys that I have ever known. He thinks... At warp speed, he talks just behind his thought process. And so trying to keep up with him in a conversation is very difficult. Uh, but he thinks at high levels, plans well, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it was out of character for him when his second daughter was very young. And he and his wife had brought different cars to church. You know how that goes. And uh, they got home and the wife said to Jim... Do you have Stephanie? And Stephanie was in the nursery in those days. And so uh, Jim <laughs> jumped in his car and sped back to church to pick up his abandoned daughter. That pushes me to a little less friendly or happy kind of a memory. And this goes back to a TV show that Teresa and I were watching last spring, I guess, and the theologian we know as Kelly Clarkson was being interviewed for American Idol, and she was the guest judge that week. Uh, at the end of the week, she sang the song about which she was being interviewed, and the song is powerful, and it's troubling. Actually, the interviews that she talked about or talked through later uh, pointed out that the song is really a, a thank you, if you will, to her husband and the way her husband deals with their daughter. But Kelly said that she thought back into her own life about a father who was absent and a father who had other plans than to be a father. And so she wrote these words. The song is entitled Peace by Peace. The opening lyrics are, And all I remember is your back walking towards the airport leaving us all in your past I traveled 1500 miles to see you begged you to want me but you didn't want to you ever feel abandoned in life it's a little dangerous to ask this question in church because somebody might be honest and it might offend the sensibilities of this spiritually together people. You ever feel like 
God has abandoned you. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, we have some very well-known, I would call them famous pieces of Scripture. And we all know those, and we can, many of us can even quote those. But I, I think that I want us to take a little different gaze upon this passage today, because I think that there's some gold hidden just beneath the surface for us, especially if you're one of those who intends to be really honest when you come to your relationship with Christ. And I operate today under the basic assumption, even a point of reference that says that uh, sometimes it seems like God has stepped out of the picture in our lives. And when that happens, what do you do? How do you deal with the reality of a life that seems to show that God is absent? In Acts chapter 1, we come to a passage where Jesus is in his final moments on earth with his disciples. As we started several weeks ago in our series through the book of Acts, we, we know that Luke records in his gospel that Jesus was crucified and that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And then the first part of the book of Acts, he gives that kind of a, that joiner between the gospel and this history of the early church as he points out that this is really a two-volume set, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And then he gives that statement where Jesus is on the hillside. I'll just back up and read from verse 6, but we'll really get serious with verses 9 and following today. In verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, it says, So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And our text for today, beginning in verse 9, and when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And we'll pick up reading in verse 12 in a little bit, but let's kind of camp out a little bit in verses 9, 10, and 11. I call this part of the message gone, but not really gone. But I, I, I guess I just want to make sure that we, we check some of our religious sensibilities because I know that I'm being kind of a, uh, I guess I would say, uh, a little non-spiritually PC at this point. Because anytime I start talking about feeling or it's seeming like God has abandoned us, there is always that thing in the back of my head, that, that voice that says, do good theology, be responsible with scripture. And I know that I hear that back from some of your faces going, wait a minute, God never abandons us. God is omnipresent. That's one of those big theological words that we like to throw around. It means God is everywhere. And it's true. We believe that it's true. And so that means that he can't really abandon us, but it sure feels like it sometimes. 
And then there will be others who would say, well, wait a minute, you know, the Holy Spirit indwells. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then he, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you cannot be separate. You can't even separate yourself from him. And so, you know, we're, we're, not never, we're never abandoned by God. I, I get all of that. But it sure seems at times that God has checked out of our situation. That certainly is the case with these disciples. This is now the second time in a really short period of time, a handful of weeks when you really get right down to it. The second time that Jesus, who has said to them previously things like, I'm I'm not going to ever leave you, I'll always be here with you, but then he steps out. I want you today, for the, especially this first part, I want you to really put your feet into the shoes of those disciples. Wear the situation as they must have worn it. Over in the gospel where we find that Jesus is having this dinner with them, the last supper we call it, and he's talking in ways that they don't totally understand, and they go out and he's, he's, he's just driven by the moment. And his disciples don't get it. And following hard on the heels of that prayer session out in that garden, these people come and arrest him. And they haul him off and they crucify him and they kill him. And get your feet into the shoes of those disciples as almost to the last one, they head for the hills. We might say Jesus was abandoned by them, but we certainly have to say that when they saw him die, there was that sense of abandonment. All of a sudden, you told us that you would make us fishers of men if we followed you, and we followed you, and we gave up everything for you, and now you're dead. We know that that's more or less what they thought, because we find in those gospel accounts that they're huddled together in some upper room somewhere, fearing for their lives. You ever feel abandoned by God? That Jesus seems to have walked out of your situation. So here the second time, on a hillside, after the resurrection, and after those appearances, those number of weeks where they're with Jesus, and and now everything's different. He's different. He looks different. It's just different now because we're on this side of the cross, and this side of the resurrection, and now their hopes are high, and he takes them out to a hillside, and he disappears in front of them, and they're abandoned again. What would you feel in that situation? What would you think in that situation? There is, to me, there's no, nothing more unsettling than than being in a situation where it feels like God has just stepped out. And we hear this a lot of different ways. One of the ways that I hear this come at me on a regular basis comes in the form of the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's that's code speak, I've learned. From people who may want to believe in God or maybe even claim that they believe in God and yet something goes wrong in their lives or in somebody else's life and they just can't get a handle on it and so we revert back to, well, this was a good person. Why would God let that happen to them? And so they throw the question out and what I hear from that is, 
I, God, I can't find God in this. I, I, I don't know where God is in this situation. Sometimes that abandonment or the sense of abandonment by God comes in health concerns. <laughs> some of them are not hard to see God in them, but some of them are hard for us to find God at all. And so we get those diagnoses from medical professionals who are trained to be really good at what they do, and they step into our reality and they say, we can't do anything. We've, we've done all we can do. Where's God then? We hear those prayers, or, the, or at least the comments from people. I, I pray, but it's like my prayers don't get past the ceiling. That's another way of saying I, I feel like God has abandoned me. I, I don't know what to do here. Sometimes it's a financial crisis. Many times that sense of abandonment by God comes when somebody that we have trusted betrays us. Somebody that carries the name Christian. Somebody in whom we have invested ourselves and in whom us, they have invested. And, and yet somehow they turn and we find that they're performing surgery on us with their tongue from a distance. Where's God in those times? Sometimes, probably most often, we get this sense that God has abandoned us when there's some kind of a significant loss. I, I, I got this. I, I got this. I didn't like getting this, but I got this. As I watched my son and his wife at the time, his wife, as they suffered through a miscarriage of a child. And I watched as what had been a strong, vibrant faith crumbled in front of us. As he, in many different ways, claimed that God had left them and abandoned them in that situation. It's not much different than many of you have gone through. Reality is that we come against those situations in our lives where it really does appear beyond all of our good theological answers. It really does appear that God has abandoned us. And I believe these disciples are in exactly that situation here. And one of the reasons that I say that is because it takes, it takes angels to shake them off of that hillside. I, I can only imagine standing there after the the depths of the emotion of the crucifixion followed by the heights of joy of the resurrection and the ascension, uh, the, I mean, the, uh, the appearances after the resurrection, those disciples, okay, things are going our way now. This is awesome. And we get that because of the question that they asked there is, is now the time? And they're still focused on, okay, we're just on the ascendancy. Everything's going great. And like that, Jesus is gone again. I don't think we're much different than them in some ways. So when you find yourself in a situation and it seems like, really seems like you have been abandoned by God, 
The question is, now what? what? What do I do with that? So let's take a couple of minutes here. It won't take very long to do this. But I want to show a few things out of the next few verses that help us know how to handle that. And before I get into those uh, ways to address that sense, let me just say this. If you're here today and you feel that way, then you're in a safe place. If you're here today and you're a little scandalized that the preacher would talk about maybe seeming like God has abandoned you, then I would say with all the love I can give you, you kind of really need to get real. Because life doesn't follow a script for us. If it does, then built into the script is tragedy. We're not the first to feel this way. There is even that high voice, a loud voice of Christian history, one of those earlier church fathers who, who talked about a dark night of the soul. This is not somebody who doesn't know the way they're supposed to live and doesn't know the right answers. This is from a person who was seeking after God and it just seemed like God was not there. This is part of life. So if you're not in a situation like that right now, hang on because there's one coming for you sooner or later. So take good notes would be my suggestion. Here's the first one. When you find yourself there, surround yourself with family. Now, I don't know your family. Uh, some of you, I do know your family, but for the most part, I don't really know your family. Uh, but I do know this family. So let me talk about this family. Here, here's where we find this. Look, in my Bible, there's a page turn. So verse 12 it's an interesting thing that Luke does here. Because after those angels send them on their way with the promise that they did, uh, I read through verse 11, right? Somebody help me out here. All right, so verse 12. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And now here's, this is a strange thing for me, what Luke does. Um, so let's do a little pop quiz here. How many disciples were there originally? Twelve, right? And how many disciples are there now at this point in Scripture? Eleven. Now, we're not there yet to where we find actually just a couple of verses after where we're stopping today. But we have the account of what happens with Judas, uh, uh, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And so he's out of the picture now. So there's 11 left. So as I read through these, uh, Luke gives us a roll call here. Count how many of the disciples are together in this situation. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. How many is that? That's 11. In other words... Those 11 guys who have now been abandoned by Jesus stick together. You know, there's a great lesson for us in this. In our day, there is this continued push towards just doing our spirituality on our own. Just kind of go out there and we'll do, I'll, I'll do my own Bible study and I, you know, I'll do my own prayer and all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of segregate off and we do our own thing individually. The problem with that is it's contrary to the way God designed the community of faith. We need each other. 
as a single brick is easily broken. You put a bunch of them together with mortar on a wall, it's a strong force. So is the body of Christ when you need God with skin on. When you feel abandoned and your faith is failing, run to family. That's what we find these guys doing. Let's take another step here. Well, maybe, maybe I should stop and, and say this because the reality is that many of us in here have run to church families, whether this one or somewhere else, and been summarily executed because of it. You know, church and church people have a unique capacity to hurt people. Now, just so you know, that's not right. I mean, it's a true statement. It's just not the statement that judges whether it's right or not. We're not supposed to be about hurting one another, but some churches excel at that. I was reading a... uh, I got a... um, an email sent to me this week. I guess it was a text message with a link. That's what it was. And so I went to read it, and it was a recovery blog by one of the biggest named preachers of our day who had some problems and got shot down in many different ways and walked away from the church. And as I was reading that, we got into this discussion. Uh, this guy who sent it to me about a number of different things. And, and so that pushed me to doing a little more reading and pushing out a little bit about the effect of church people on church people. Now, remember, what I'm promoting here is that we should be really good at helping people in the midst of those hard times where it seems like God has detached from their lives. We should come together and help hold them strong until they get to a better place spiritually. But the fact is that churches have a way of hurting people. And so part of that, I, I read this statement. There was this, uh, a discussion between two pastors, and one pastor was done. I mean, he was done. And the other guy was trying to feel him out. What's, you know, what's going on? And the guy said, you know what? I just church people, they just, you know, you pour your life into it. They just give, it's just, and he just went on and on until finally he said this. That one pastor said this. I considered quitting my job as pastor and going to work for Chick-fil-A. And he said, and then I realized that Chick-fil-A was run by a bunch of Christian people too. And I don't want to work for any more Christian people. Now the other pastor wisely said, you don't work for Christian people. You work with Christian people, but you don't work for Christian people. You work for Christ. But you see, there's the value of what I'm talking about here. When it seems like God has detached, then you need to attach to his family. We need to be good at that as a church, helping people walk through those tough times. Here's the second one. Now, this is the one that everybody's going to expect. Okay? When, when you feel like God has abandoned you somewhere, what do you do with that? Well, we would say the good church answer is you should pray. And that's what they do. Verse 14. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So it's more than just 11 as we find, but it is at least those 11 and they find themselves praying together. Question for you. Let's have a little bit of sanctified imagination here. 
How were they praying? For what were they praying? Now, if they adopted modern, well, I'll say evangelical prayer meetings, those are the kinds that I've gone to the most, but if they adopted a modern evangelical prayer meeting kind of agenda, they would be praying for Aunt Susie's big toe. It's got gout in it and it's really painful. And they would be paying, praying for, you know, uh, Uncle Joe and, you know, he's got this drinking problem. And so, uh, the, you know, that, that would be the content of their prayer meeting. But I have a suspicion that's not the way they were praying. I don't know that. It's just, like I said, sanctified imagination. But I'm going from a point of an expert here. Because I've been in positions where I wondered if God hadn't detached from my life. And here's how I pray. God, where are you? Is that a fair prayer? You see, when we get to that point in our lives where we feel like, and it seems like God is just nowhere to be found. The best prayer to pray is where are you? Because you see, that's the prayer that opens us up for an answer. I I, I tire, I really tire of getting these prayer request things in the mail, the people telling me how I'm supposed to pray for them. Most of the time I think they're not figured out how they need to be prayed for. They just know what they want. Do you know what the best way to pray for somebody else is? That God would be so real to them that they could not escape his presence. Intimacy with God is what we're talking about. And having that intimate, close relationship and fellowship with God provides us footing on the dark nights of the soul. When it seems like he's distant, you still have history with him. It's not because somebody else had an experience with God. It's because you have an experience with God. And so you pray. Third one, the last one that I'll give you here, is when you find yourself feeling like you're separated from God, you need to go with what you know. Here's a good truth for you. I don't say wise stuff very often, so I like to give you a heads up when one of those wise statements is coming. So here's one. When God doesn't show you his presence, he gives you his promises. So let's rehearse it. Let's get back in the shoes of these disciples. What are some of the promises that God had given them? Well, I already mentioned one. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I want to go, really? You, you were there, now you're gone. Sure seems like I'm forsaken. You ever feel that way? And you know the promises. Yeah. Most of us in here have different scripture verses we've, we've memorized and we can call them back. Maybe not be able to tell you where they are, but we know that they're in there somewhere. We, we all have those. So you hold to the promises. As one guy said it, uh, you starve your doubts and you feed your faith. But the way you feed your faith is by going to the promises of God and seeing, is, are these real? Can I count on these? 
So maybe we give them, uh, okay, well, let's, that one's still in process on the I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pick another one that Jesus said and see if this one might not care, I mean, carry some weight with them. Uh, how about over in the book of John where Jesus says, uh, soon I'm going to be leaving, but I will send another comforter for you. And it's important that we recognize that the word another there, another comforter, is one that means just exactly like me. Now, we're not there yet. I mean, there's still a little bit here, some verses, before we get to Pentecost and the Holy Spirit as it comes there. So, so we're not quite at that point yet, but those disciples have that to hang on to. And if that's not enough, we can go to what we've read in this passage here in verse, where am I? Verse 8 where he says to these disciples, but you will receive power. These are future statements. These are promises, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, etc., etc., to the end of the earth. And so Jesus has gone to it and we could just spend an hour walking through various promises that Jesus has given to them. And so in the midst of the moment where it looks like God has checked out, there's still the promise of God that goes with their experiences with God. And there's hope. Here's the tricky thing about promises. They mean very little unless you appropriate them. Unless you take those promises and you put them to work in your life, it's just information. E equals MC squared may mean something to you. Doesn't mean a thing to me, but I know it. So you take the promise of God and you put it to work in your life. And if you're having struggle doing that, there's your prayer. Okay, God, I know you said this. I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting it. So help me to get it. It's good prayer. Not elaborate. It's not, don't have to go, you know, walk some labyrinth or anything like that. You just get with God. So how do you finish with all of this? I go back to experience that Teresa and I had, or several experiences actually, when we lived in New Mexico. Because when we were in Hobbs, New Mexico, the high school basketball coach, his name was Ralph Tasker, was the winningest basketball coach in all of basketball at the time. He was 83 years old, best I remember. I know he was in his 80s. I think it was 83, still coaching basketball. He comes shuffling out, all stooped over like this, and he comes shuffling out like that. Those boys, big old basketball boys, almost carrying him out there. And he'd park down on the end of the bench, and for the for the whole game, he would sit there and he would, it would be like directing an orchestra. It was an incredible thing to watch. They had multiple state titles through that deal. They, it was a high school and they had season tickets that pe people passed on in their wills to people. It was, hard, it was a hard ticket to get. But one of the things that Tasker did is he used a system there where he would do platoon substitution. You know what that means? So it's five guys on a basketball team, right? And so most times a team will have one or two star players. You know, Kenny Lejeune's the star point guard, and 
so Kenny gets to play the whole game. Okay, not Tasker. There were no superstars. Well, actually, the better way to say it, they were all superstars. And so he would platoon substitute every 90 seconds of the game. And so as soon as that 90-second time was up and the ball went out of bounds and there was a break in play, he would send in a whole new five group of guys. Those guys would come sit down for 90 seconds. And then he would do the whole game, just back and forth like that. And they played the original run-and-gun basketball. And Tasker's position was, you guys are going to run like crazy in practice. I am going to work you so hard in practice. And when it comes game time, we're going to do that every 90 seconds. And even though we may play teams that are physically bigger than us and technically better than us, we will run them to death. And it worked every time. In other words, you win the game in practice. You still got to get out and play the game and you got to get through it, but it's in practice that you do the work that helps you to win the game. So here's the deal with this whole sermon today. If you're not in a position today where you feel like God is distanced from you, you should use the time today to be ready for the time that comes. Because I'll promise you, when you get into that dark hole and your prayers don't get out of the building, it seems, it's too late to prepare. So how is it with you? Are you walking with God? You spend time in prayer, not letting him know what you think, but listening to what he has to say. Are you spending time in his word and growing spiritually? There's a dark night coming for you. I'll guarantee it. It's part of the way God deals with us. And when that happens, will your faith carry you through? And if it's today... I would say to you, you're in good company. Let's help you find God. Let's pray together. And as we pray, the question for you is, what do you do with this? Where's God in your life today? Are you doing the things today that prepare you for those hard days when they come? If not, now's a good time to take some steps to get that right. I'll be down here. I'd love to meet with you, pray with you. Aaron's down here and do the same thing. We have others who will do that. Don't let this moment pass without doing business with God. So Father, we ask you to take this time to be glorified in it. Change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name.